once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. We are taught this week by lead teacher Randy Pope. Thank you for joining us today. We're completing today a nine-week series. Some of you new with us. Week to week, I know a lot of new people each week. Uh, it's the end of a, of a series called The Story. The story is really the gospel. Gospel means good news. And we've taken the text of Luke 15. There are three parables that Jesus calls a parable. And the third of those parables is about two lost sons. Now, I, usually at this time, I read the text or I tell the text again just to help you and but I invite you, if you will, to take your, your Bibles and open them up to Luke 15. And I'd love for you to be reading the detail of the story of the two sons. But I've decided I'm not going to tell it one more time. I'm not going to read it one more time. Enough is enough. So I've got somebody else to tell it to you, all right? We're going to have our own Kurt Cloninger. Come on up, Kurt. And Kurt's been a part of this church for many, many years. Yeah. And uh, we've been praying for Kurt and Tish. They lost their son in a tragic accident just uh, a few months ago. Great loss, but uh, watching how God just, you know, meets these guys and how they faithfully follow the Lord. But uh, he's got a unique ability to tell a story. And so I'm going to let him tell the story for us right now, okay? Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a father... And he had two boys. Now, the, the younger of his sons came to the dad, and he said to his dad, Hey, I want my share of the estate, and I want it now. So the father divided up the estate between these two boys. Not long after that, the younger son gathered together everything he had, and he left home. He went to a country far away, and there he spent all of his money in loose living. Well, after he'd spent everything, all of a sudden there was this famine that hit this country, and the kid began to feel the pinch. Finally, this farmer sent this nice Jewish boy out into his pen to slop pigs the kid was starving. He would gladly have eaten the pig slop. They wouldn't let him. Finally, this kid comes to his senses and he says, what am I doing here? I mean, this pig slop looks good. And the guys who work for my dad have plenty to eat. This is nuts. I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going to say to my dad, I'm going to say, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm not worth being called your son anymore. Just, just treat me like one of the hired guys. So he got up, and he started back to his father. <laughs> but when he was still a long way away, his dad saw him. 
And his dad ran to the boy, and he embraced him, and he started kissing him. He kissed his boy. He kissed him. And the son said, Dad, I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. I'm not worth being called your son anymore. Just treat me like one of the high. But the father called his servants over, and he said, hey. Bring in my best robe and put it on my boy and put my ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and bring that calf in that we've been fattening up because we're going to have a barbecue. We're going to have a party because <laughs> my son, who was dead, is, is alive again. He was lost and we found him. So they had this great party. Meanwhile, the older brother, remember him? The older brother, he was out in the fields working. And he heard the music and he heard the dancing and he came near the house. And he called one of the hired guys over to find out what was going on. And the hired guy said, eh, yeah, your little brother came back. And daddy's having a barbecue for him because he got it back safe and sound. The older brother was ticked. He would not go near the house. So finally, the father came out to him as well and invited him, begged him to come into this great party. And the son said to his dad, he said, Look, man, all these years I slaved for you. I never disobeyed one of your rules, and you never gave me so much as a goat to have a party with my friends. And now this son of yours comes back after blowing your money on hookers? And what do you do? <laughs> you have a party for him. The father said to the older brother, Son, You've been with me all this time. Don't you get it? Everything I have is yours. But it's right we should have a party. <laughs> because this brother of yours was dead. Now he's alive again. He was lost. Now we found him. Well, as it turns out, he said it the same way I would have, so. <laughs> Thanks, Kurt. Good job. Very good job. You know, sometimes we need to realize that when we read Scripture, we don't read it as it really is and don't understand the emotion that is underlying some of the texts that we read, so very, very good. Well, if you're new with us, uh, we've been uh, exploring this thing called the story by trying to answer four questions. I put the four questions up. The first is, what is the story? I spent time trying to answer that one, not from the text so much, as really just generally give the understanding. We use the little phrases, we lost it all, he did it all, we get it all. We lost our goodness and perfection, 
He did everything we need for our salvation. We get everything we need, his righteousness. Then we looked at the question of who needs the story? Who does need the story? And the reality is, is that in order to understand that, Jesus has to redefine what sin is. These are scribes and Pharisees that are listening to Jesus. He is speaking directly to them because they think they've got it. They figure this whole religious thing out. And he says, no, you really don't understand. You're thinking bad people need what I'm coming to give. No, it's not true because you don't understand what sin is. Sin is not just breaking rules. Sin is leaving home. Then he addressed the question, who will embrace the story? Well, those that will embrace the story are not what the Pharisees were thinking because they didn't even understand what sin was. They certainly didn't understand repentance. So he redefines repentance for them. And so he has to say, no, repentance is not just saying you're wrong. It's not just feeling bad for what you've done. Religious people, that's what they think. But it's actually coming home. It is that, but it's more. And so in the use of this idea of leaving home and coming home, he is building the idea of relationship that was foreign to scribes and Pharisees. They didn't understand it at all. So we spent six weeks dealing with that two per each question and now for the last two weeks and now this our final week three weeks we're spending on the last question which is what happens to those who embrace the story what really happens to them I want to invite you if you will just so you've got it as a reference note the back of the outline that's the insert uh, you can find on the back side an outline of the the various things that Jesus is really redefining as he gives this parable there are three things he's redefining as we come to what happens to those who embrace the gospel. Number one, he's going to redefine the nature of God. We did that two weeks ago. We have to understand God is a forgiving God. If we don't understand, we miss it. Number two, he redefines the value of sinners. That is, sinners are forgivable. People who leave home can come back. And then thirdly, what we look at today, finally, redefining what it means to rightly relate to God. And that is, we are forgiven. Now, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. It is so important that you and I begin to realize that our view of God, who He is, the nature of God, our view of ourself, our worth, and why we're worthy to God, until we get those two pieces together, we can live the religious Christian life as much and as hard as we want, and something is not going to click. The better we can understand God, the better we understand ourselves. And that's why we dug in the last two weeks. Let's just look at the topics that we looked at the last two weeks. The first one was this. Those who embrace the story know their Heavenly Father as He really is. There's the nature. Number two... Those who embrace the story enjoy living with a sense of personal worth. So we have covered those two. Now we look at the final number three. And by the way, what these three are are really descriptions of the answer to the question, well, what happens to those who embrace the story? What does happen to them? Well, the Pharisees and scribes, the way you get to be better and better. The more you embrace the religion, the better you get. So that's what it's all about, getting better. 
Jesus comes along and he says, oh, no, no, no. It's nothing about getting better. It's about being new. And when you become new, you become better. But it's not about the better. It's about the new. And I'm going to say to any of you that are seekers right now, would you just not buy the lie that is being perpetrated even in churches today that it really has to do with what we do to become better. It is not that. It's what he does to make us new people so that we can become better. I think you'll understand that more in just a moment. But this third, those who embrace the story enjoy the security of the Father's house. So what we're really talking about, security in a home. We're talking about relationship. We're talking about family. And the whole parable is built around the family. It's built around the idea of relationship. And so I want us to explore that, thinking, all right, we are forgiven. The text that maybe we look at just one verse this week, just to kind of remind us again, verse 20 of chapter 15 says, So he, the young son, got up, came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I mean, kissed him before anything is said or done. It's like here he comes. He sees him coming, and he goes and he kisses him. Keep in mind, this is a parable. It's not a real story. We can assume maybe this happened and that happened, and I'll do that even as I'm teaching. But I want you to know this. A parable has one basic, major, overarching truth. That's what Jesus is trying to portray. And the big truth is this idea of how you relate to God. Now, we can take any truth of God's Word and we can bring it in and we can think about how we can picture that through this story. And it's like a picture that says a thousand words. A story must tell a million words. And we can see beautiful things of God's truth right here as we see this story. So I want you to understand this. Think about it. First, the father kissed the son. Now, if you were with us several weeks ago, we made mention of the Eastern culture. The kiss represented different things. One thing the kiss represents is forgiveness. So that son, we would presume, if it were a true story, that son would be saying, Dad, you, you kissed me. His response perhaps would be something like this. Well, of course, I forgive you. Yes, but that, no, no, no. I forgive you. You've come home. That's what counts. So he is declared forgiven. But keep in mind also, do you note that what comes next is they give him, Father gives him sandals for his feet and a robe for his back? The robe represented honor. He's giving his son honor. He gives his son sandals, which would not have been given to the hired hands. The sandals were, you enter, come in, you're part, you've come home, so I'm going to give you the sandals that you need. Do you realize that at this point, that young son would understand this, that my dad has not just forgiven me, but my dad has gone so far as to invite me into his home, not as a hired hand, but he said, come on in. 
robe, honor, sandals, freedom. I'm free to enter the house. But you notice he also gives him a ring. In that culture, the ring was a sign of inheritance. Do you understand what that meant? Yeah, you just blew your inheritance, but I'm going to now take what's left and we'll divide it out and you still have an inheritance coming. Now, the reality is at that point, he knew not only was he forgiven, not only was he invited to be a part of the home, he is invited now to be part owner of the home. Now, you take our Christian living. I realize that there are not a lot of us here that are not yet followers of Jesus. We're still pursuing. We're here because we want to figure it out. And we always love that. Glad you are here. Well, for those of us that are outside that relationship, we don't yet know the declaration of freedom. Some of us are young in our faith. Maybe it's been a long time. We've not grown a lot. Maybe it's just been recently. But we stepped into the faith. And once we step into the faith, the great reality is I'm forgiven. Everything, past, present, future, forgiven. How good can it be? And all we can say is, yay. You know, a lot of people just get stuck there. All I know is at least I'm a Christian. I'm not doing that much. I'm not following that well. I'm not doing that yet, but at least I'm a Christian. I know I'm going to heaven. That's what counts. Oh, you're missing so much. To understand that you've been brought into a relationship with God. Think about that. You've been brought into the home. You've been given honor. You've been given freedom from sin. Let me tell you, what an incredible gift God has given to us as we enter into that relationship, and many have stopped even there and are not yet to understand, whoa, 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 there's more. I'm actually an heir of God. I am a fellow heir with Christ. The inheritance of Christ is shared with me as I am his brother. He is, he is the first brother. And, and I, get, uh, I get an ownership. I have authority because of my position with him. I reign in the heavenlies, even as Jesus reigns in the heavenlies. This is too good to be true. Let me tell you, when you get here, it's a whole lot different than just over here. Well, which is a whole lot different than just being over here and obviously different from not even having faith. But the Christian growth experience is to understand that, though there is more than just being forgiven, but let me tell you, being forgiven is unbelievable. And that's what he's trying to say. Who will embrace the story. Those who come home, what happens to those who embrace the story? Oh, they don't just become good. That's not it. They become new, and by becoming new, yes, become better. All because of what God has done for us. Now, as we think about the world today, you know what the world says? The world simply says, God loves good people. He just loves good people. Here's the question. Does God love good people? The answer would be he would, except there are no good people. Remember week one? We lost it all. There are no good people. So if you're thinking that God's love is kind of hinging on how good you are, you've missed it. It's all about how new you are. 
if you become new. See, newness is what God has done for us. He covers us with his righteousness. And so he looks at us and he says, oh, yeah, I'd see you as good, but not because you're good. It's because of the righteousness that you have of my son. That's what I see that I say you're good. It's not because of what you do. You know, we innately know. Do we not know that we're not good? We do. We just know we're not good. Now, though I used the other week, how many percentage, I don't know if it's 99 point whatever, of everyone I've ever asked, do you think man is good, good with a little bad, bad with a little bad, or bad? And 99% of them say, oh, man's good with a little bad. And we want to think we're good, but do you know innately we know we're not? It's just like the atheists I've illustrated, I've talked to. And I can back an atheist into a corner. I can't say just all of them, but ones I've had experience, not that many, but I'm telling you, those that I have, I can back them into a corner to make them say, I guess I'm not an atheist, I guess I'm an agnostic. Because the truth of it is, innately we know there's a God. Do you know that innately we know that we're sinners? Innately we know we are bad. Innately we know we've lost it all. And for that reason, we can't help but in a sense want to convince ourselves, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, but we know we're not. And that's why we don't feel loved by God. Because as good as we're trying to get, we go, I just, I know, I know innately where I am and I'm, I'm not what I need to be. Maybe I'll illustrate it this way. We have some very dear friends. And years and years and years ago, the husband came and we were talking together and he said, you know, I just, my wife struggles to believe I love her. I'll tell her I love her. I demonstrate my love to her and she says, you don't love me. You don't love me. Now, I compare myself to him as a husband. I'll give him the crown. You know, I, I'd say, my goodness, what is she thinking you're needing to do that you're not doing or you're not doing? You say, what, what is it? She said, well, no, it's not that I'm, I'm being criticized because I'm not doing this, therefore I don't love her. It's just regardless of what I do, she just doesn't feel loved. Well, we'll go on to f find out that a lot of that has to do with upbringing and this, that, and the other and security of of how she felt loved by her family and this, that, and the other. But the issue is this. When we feel like we're unlovable, even though love is being demonstrated in massive quantity, we don't sense that we're loved. It's not because we're not being loved. It's because we don't feel worthy of being loved. We don't think we're lovable. That's why people who put on a good theology and begin to understand, hey, 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 it's not I've been better. It's I've been made new. Now we begin to say, you know what? It doesn't matter about me. It matters about Jesus and what he's done. And when he's really done what he's done for us, giving us his righteousness, there's a compelling desire to follow and love and obey. But folks, we've got to be thinking about new. We cannot be thinking about good or better, or we'll constantly innately know, I'm not good. I'm not good enough. I've got to be better. Then maybe I will be loved. Not so at all. I love the way John Gerstner, John Gerstner's been with the Lord now for many years. We had him preach years and years and years ago in our church. We're the greatest theologians of this time, no doubt. I love the way he puts it. He says, really, the main thing between you and God is not your sins, but your damnable good works. Do you know what he's saying there? 
It's not our sin doesn't separate us from God, but we think of the breaking the rules as that which is causing us to be damned by God. No, 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 no. It's the elder brother as well. He's not saying it's not but, it's both and. But for most of us, it's our good works that are the things that are trapping us. And it really is our deepest of sin. Now, I want to put two words in your mind just to think, just to give it the picture. Do you understand when you're made new, you are not employed by God? You do not become a hired hand. Never. I want you to think about it this way. When you become new, you're now enjoyed by God. Now, I've had a problem for years and years. It's falling asleep when I pray. If I open my eyes, I get distracted. If I close, I go to sleep. I have no chance. Now, I'm talking about nine out of ten days in a row. I'll fall asleep. Now, do you know for years, I think I had the employed mindset. Oh, I'm employed by God to be his ambassador. I'm employed by God to follow him. I'm employed by God to do good to work for him. I'm employed by God, and I need that God's got me here. He's done a great thing for me so that I can be used to other da 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 And when I would fall asleep praying, my thought would wake up and say, Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I don't want to offend you by just oh, I was talking to you. I fell asleep. Man, oh, that's terrible. But I'm not employed. I'm enjoyed. And I began to change my way of thinking. Can you imagine if you've got a little child and that little child is a little two, three, four-year-old maybe sitting in your lap and there and you're talking away at night and tired, yeah, I've had a big day and all of a sudden that little child who's talking to you, the eyes get a little heavy and all of a sudden they fall asleep in your arms. Can you imagine slapping that kid? kid what are you doing that's rude we were talking and look what you no you know what we do we sit there and say wow I love this see that's the mindset I'm enjoyed and wake up and say Lord I slipped away there on you thank you that didn't make you mad you enjoy your children don't you father it's a whole different look at relationship not employed but enjoyed Several weeks ago, I told the story of my father and, and his kisses to me, and how he loved me and kissed me and so forth and so on. And You know, there are different stories we have with parents. Carol, with her parents, had wonderful parents, loved the Lord. I mean, I, I, was, I couldn't be more grateful for, for in-laws, both with the Lord now. And, but one of the things when we met in college that I know she longed, we talked about it, she longed to do was to hear her dad, who was kind of a big old gruff outward exterior, but a teddy bear, a really sweet guy. But, but uh, he just, maybe it was generational, but he just didn't say, I love you. Those words just didn't come out. Now, Carol never, 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 never would doubt her father's love. That would never even be a question. But, but she longed to hear those words, I love you. So what she started doing was just saying, hey, Dad, I love you. Right, oh, that's good. I appreciate it. That's good. <clears throat> yeah, that's good. 
And just like, mm, couldn't get it out. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. Until finally he started saying, I love you. And could even initiate, I love you. Now, Carol never once, I'm telling you, she never ever said to me, I really wonder whether Dad loves me. He never tells me, nah. He, she knew by his demonstration of life that he loved her to death, but there's something about hearing those words, I love you. We need to hear those words, I love you. And when he started saying, I love you, I know that meant the world to Carol. Now, there's some of us here that maybe have dads that say, I love you, I love you, or they did say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but it infuriated you because you could look right through it and say, why do you tell me you love me when you don't? And it's not because, like my friend story, no, it's because they really don't love except conditional. You do this, you don't do that, then I'll love you, yeah, I'll do And they say, I love you. No, no, we don't want to hear that. We want to see the two come together. The verbal, I love you, and then the response by the way we, yes, I love you. Both are so very, very important. For the men that weren't here on one given week, but when I shared the story of my dad, very important to underscore this reality that because my dad hugged me, my dad kissed me, my dad told me he loved me all the way till I mean, I was up in a adult. I mean, I'm telling you, through, through my early days in college when my father left our family and I didn't see him after that. But I'm telling you, he expressed love so much so that when he did something as a sinful person that was very, very, very hurtful, I couldn't find myself saying, well, he just doesn't love me. You know why? I've been told too often, I've been kissed too often, and it was supported by every demonstration of love. Now, we have a Heavenly Father who's perfect. He doesn't do wrong things. But because He's God and perfect, He does things we don't understand. In His providence, He takes this loved one away. In this providence, He doesn't give this to us that we long for. In His providence, this, that, and the other happens. And we say, I don't get that. It doesn't make sense. But I'll tell you, when you've experienced the kiss of the Father, you've experienced the robe and the sandals, you experience the ring. Even when things go that way, there's something in you that says, I don't get it, but I know this. It's not because he doesn't love me. So important to get this. This is relating to God. It's not rule-keeping. It's relationship. So very, very important. What I want to do now to take us to the table, I want to relate this to four statements that may help us understand what we're doing here. I, am, I, I don't want it ever to be. I just don't want people coming to this church and taking the table and say, what was that about? I wonder why we did that. I don't get it. I want you to understand this table. So in light of this teaching, look at these four statements. Number one, the kiss of the Father cannot be experienced outside a covenant relationship, which is a friendship, with God. A covenant, when a person marries, they take a covenant with their spouse. It is a promise. God made a covenant with us, his people, that he would be a God to us. He says, I will be your savior, and he says, I will be your shepherd. It's his way of declaring his love for us. Even when we were unlovable, he says, here is my declaration. It is a covenant. Very important to know that. Now, when he says, I'll take care of you, he's saying, I'll be your shepherd. And this particular picture that we have of this 
three parables, one of them is a shepherd with his sheep. Do you realize that a shepherd does not just pet and feed the sheep? The shepherd has to do other things. The lost sheep leaves, and the shepherd has to go out and find and catch that sheep, wrestle that sheep down, and tie that sheep up. Do you know the same is true with our father? We didn't seek him. We strayed out. God goes searching for us, and he finds us. And because of who we are, man, he has to wrestle us to the ground with his irresistible grace. And he ties us up with unconditional love. And he does it because we are valued so much by him. And we read the, the grabbing us, tying us up, and all this. We think, God, what are you doing? No, we don't understand. It's an expression of his love, which takes us to number two. The kiss of the Father can only be continually experienced when God's grace supplies an already existing God-given faith. I love the illustration of an engine. If you take an engine, think of it as a God-given faith. God gives us our faith. It's a gift. Remember, we lost it all. He does it all. He gives us our faith and our repentance. Now, as he does that, we have this faith engine. But the faith engine has to be fueled. Do you know what the fuel is? It's grace. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We constantly have to have grace poured on us. We need to receive grace. So think of that illustration. You got the engine that's faith. You have the, the fuel, which is grace. But you know fuel does an engine no good unless it can get pumped into the engine? Think of that as the table, which is a means of grace. The preaching of the word, the reading of the word of God, prayer, the table. These are means of grace by which God says, if you will rightly use these means... Not because you perfunctory pray, not because you, okay, I read some scripture, who knows what it says, I don't know, I don't care. No, it's not that it's an automatic, but as the truth of these means of grace are understood and applied, God uses that grace and it fills us to empower the faith. It's what really fuels the faith. It's grace that does that. Very important to understand grace, which takes us to the next the next is simply this. Communion is a primary means of grace designed to enhance our faith. It's the pump. This is going to be a great value to us. It's going to get the grace of God to us, the people of faith. That's why it's so very important. That's why it's important that we learn disciplines in our life to take the means of grace and constantly be flooding it into our soul. That's what keeps us engine strong, faith built. Very, very important, which takes us to number four, and that is communion tells the story of God's side of the covenant friendship compelling us to keep our side. I'll tell you what's going to happen at this table. When we take this table, this is going to be God screaming through megaphone, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're forgiven forgiven you're forgiven that's all it is it's just I'm hoping as we take this table maybe for the first time is I gonna be okay I take this and I, but boy God this is you saying something to me you're telling me how loved and forgiven I am wow you're telling me that you're gonna shepherd me oh God thank you so here's how he puts it in the scriptures first Corinthians 11 so we would understand he says for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you 
that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it is a remembrance. It's a remembrance that he loves us. So as we take the table, that's what we're doing. We're saying, this is a reminder how much he loves me. How much? That he would send his son to Calvary and die so that his righteousness can cover my sin? That's a lot of love. That's a remembrance of what he's done. But it's also a remembrance of something to come. Verse 26 says this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. It's a remembrance, too, that God has promised that there's something to be fulfilled that hasn't been, that goes with what has been promised and has been fulfilled. That's why we do this. It's a remembrance of his great, great love. Takes us to the last. This last verse tells us, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What's he saying there? He's saying, now look, if, if you're... If you're in the fight spiritually and you've given up on the fight and you're not willing to fight, you're not asking God to work in you, and do, but you're just saying, I don't care if that's what it means. I don't care. I'm not doing it. I'm not. Then even if you're a member of God's church, don't come to the table. But if you're struggling like crazy and say, oh, my goodness, why am I failing so often? But, oh, God, how I want to obey. Help me understand. Help me do it. And you're struggling, that's the table is for you what do you need you need grace pumped into the engine of faith and that'll build the faith which will change the way you live so come and say take the table a member of any church if you're under the authority of a church you vowed authority to a church not necessarily this one but to a church man this church welcomes you to this table you come but if you're not you say well I just hang around God's people I go to church I don't really belong anywhere I'm not in a covenant you know, really, biblically speaking, I don't think the table's being offered through the church history. That's been the case. It's not. And that says, come under authority. Then this is for the member of God's covenant community who's joined the family of God at some place. So we encourage you. That's, that's why at this point we don't have our children, you know, our little children. Let them watch. Let them observe and, and talk to them about why and what and get them anticipating the day that they come into that covenant relationship and once they do, that they take the table as well. I hope this is going to be a sweet time. I know for me, I have to have something to kind of lock my mind on. This is just what I do. You've heard me say it many times. I'll put them up. Three thoughts. Recall the cross. Let it start with your mind. Remember what happened. I like to picture history. What happened that day 2,000 years ago? Just remember it. It may well lead to the emotion reliving the, the anguish. I find myself taking my hand and just pressing till it hurts, thinking about the piercing of Jesus' hand and think, look, this hurts and what I'm doing to me. Imagine what I've done to you in my sin. Some people more emotive than others. Don't feel something wrong if you don't. Don't feel proud if you do. It's just let it be who you are. But then make sure you come to the will, recommit your vows. Remember, this is God's side of the story compelling us to keep our side and that's when we say Lord I'm surrendering and if you're not willing to say Lord I'm surrendering as best I can I truly am I'll, I'm, I'm seeking now to surrender then I wouldn't come to the table 
but regardless of what you're battling if you're surrendering you're saying I want it you come to the table I'm really hoping I'm praying this is going to be a special time and that some of us who've been needing really badly to hear God say I love you are going to experience that right now you're going to hear forgiven and you're going to know it's not because what you've done it's what he did for you so I'm going to pray now and I'm going to invite you to the table we're going to prepare the table as I pray as we prepare our hearts let's pray together our father in heaven we come to the table now and we we come to it to to feast on such little food and drink this bread and juice that we take father is just symbolic we know that and but we want to remember the the broken body the death of Jesus your son our savior and we want to remember the shed blood that was required for the forgiveness of sins and in doing so Lord we want this to be a time that we know if you would spare not your own son how would you not with him also freely give us all things and we pray now that we might be able to feast in your love that for some reason that we can't explain outside your grace that right now this means of grace is going to convince us how loved we are and we'll now know why we're loved thank you for doing everything we needed to be loved so now Lord receive our hearts as we receive these elements we pray in Jesus name Amen we're going to take the elements in a stacked cup format. might be new to some of our guests, but as you open, you'll see there'll be two uh, little plastic cups. The bottom cup has the bread. So if you pull the top cup out, take that. And you take the bread whenever you're ready. I like to take it early. God allows the senses to be used here of smell and taste. and So I like to go ahead and, and, and take the bread as I'm preparing and working my heart. But then we will take the cup together. If that would be okay, just hold it. Unless there's a... It's kind of a sign of our unity as one in Christ. We'll take that cup together in just a minute. So the Lord said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and let's eat. The Lord said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take and then let's pray again. Father, I, I, I guess I speak for many to say that uh, perhaps there's some mixed feelings in this whole thing, conflicting thoughts of we're so sorry that what we did would cause your son, Jesus, to have to go to the cross and in order to, for us to find forgiveness and covering of our sin. But at the same time, we're so very thankful and overwhelmed and appreciative for the fact that you did do that so that we might live forever and we believe that so we just say thank you again and again our commitment is to renew our vow to you and say we will follow that is what you ask us we will follow and what we see and what we hear you say for us to do that's what we will do that is our intention at least so take us through this week use us among others let us be available in our own personality to touch the people around us with your love and with your message. And we thank you and we pray all in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. I want to, uh, I want to put a bow on this series, just a, a kind of a final word. You know, this story is all important. It, it is all important. And you know, uh, young people today, I grew up hearing this thing, you know, 
This is my story and I'm sticking to it. Well, I want us to remember this is God's story and I want us all to stick to it. Don't drift from this story. Keep coming back to it. Go to Luke 15, read it periodically. Remember some of the things we've talked about and remember, uh, keep that little outline with you. Just renew, renew, renew and rethink it, rethink it and think it until it begins to seep in and he began to really take hold of it. So this is God's story and let's stick to it, okay? Let's keep at it. God will bless us as we do. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.